This is Matthew Betley, and you should be watching The Crew Reviews. Chris Sean, yes. look who's here on the show today, Mr. Matthew Bentley, and book The Neighborhood. How are you, good sir? I am doing fantastic, gentlemen. How are you? Mm -hmm. Cheers. Welcome, man. Glad We're to, have you, to have you here today. Long Thanks. I know coming. it's been a long time coming. I feel, feel like we've been uh, dancing right. around this for a few years now. That's right. <laughs> we actually have, yeah. <laughs> and timing is everything. <laughs> Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you on, obviously. Um, so why don't, for our viewers, uh, why don't you give them, uh, you know, a little overview of what this latest novel of yours is, The Neighborhood. There it is. Well, so everyone knows me for the Logan West universe, right? You know, That's you can right. see the posters up there on the, yeah, on the yeah. wall. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to do, I, I basically got to a point in my career after the first four books that I wanted to bring in new readers so to do that, I had to come up with a standalone story. And for this, I wanted to kind of shift a little bit away from the traditional geopolitical military action thrower that I'm known for and write a more condensed, contained story that feels like a Matthew Betley thriller, reads like a Matthew Betley thriller, and basically just takes the audience on a very intense, relentless emotional gut-wrenching roller coaster ride and uh you know basically to tell people this is what i'm all about yep and that you did and we're going to get into it here um so you went from international locales for the logan west series to this intimate confine of a single affluent neighborhood and what people like to think is a usually safe american environment and so how you how did that 180 swing change, uh, if any, on how you wrote the latest novel? Did you have to take pacing into consideration uh, by sticking to one spot there? Uh, for the novel, I didn't take pacing into consideration other than once it starts, it doesn't stop <laughs> right. uh, until the final pages are turned. Uh, including the flashback sequence that takes place in Malta. Right. I've actually been to where I wrote in in the book, yeah. uh, which is why you know when I was in the in the Marine Corps, we stopped and had liberty in Malta, which is why I chose that location hmm. um, for the flashback. But no, it, it was uh, I wanted to see what I could do in a in, you know in, in a very close quarter environment like a gated community. How I actually got the idea. Where I live, I live in a, a in a nice, you know, middle, upper middle class neighborhood. And every year we have the toys for tots drive right. and the fire engine will come and collect the toys and everybody goes out at, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night. And while I was looking around at all these people gathering, I, I literally thought to myself, and this was several, like four or five years ago, I thought, what if these guys were actually bad guys and wanted to hold us hostage? And that's <laughs> literally how the story was born. That's mm. such a thriller mind, by the way. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Authors always take a look at a situation and go, yeah. you know what? How can I make this, how can I make this worse? <laughs> story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but 
put people in a really bad position. Yeah. Hey guys, um, can, I'm gonna hit the light switch real quick. Can I take like yeah, 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 two sure. seconds? Do it. Yeah. I can still talk, and it, let's see if that's better or if that's too dark. No, you were fine before. Mm. Is it was it better before or better yeah, now? Better before. Okay. <laughs> I can never tell on these stupid cameras. I did not uh, get an AV minor in high school or college. <laughs> you weren't bad well, enough. <laughs> uh, well, Matt, when, when we we we've, we've been friends for a while now, and and you know we talk on the phone, and I've told you, um, and I've told other people, you write some of the most intense, action-packed fighting scenes of any thriller author out there. Yeah. Um, and I like with my own writing, I try to replicate it because it's it's really it's really good. And, and someone who hasn't read any of your Logan West stuff or uh, when they pick up the neighborhood, they'll, they'll actually see that. Um, but I'm curious if that ability ability to write so visually, if that comes naturally to you or if it was something you had to learn and put in some serious effort to perfect. You, you already know this answer. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I know people who hate me for it. You know, I, the, the, the politically correct is, is that I agonize over it. And I right. have to like, you know, I have to do the, like some sort of locust position to get into the right <laughs> mindset. Uh, but the reality is, is that I am a very visual writer. I actually do not think of myself as, as a writer. I sit down at my computer, I put on earbuds, I listen to scores from some of the best thriller movies out there, and I literally see the action in my head. Literally, That's what I, do. I see it, I yeah. hear it, I hear the dialogue, and I feel the emotion, and I feel like I'm more like a scribe, more than a writer. Uh, you know, the story's already usually cr mostly crafted in my head before I sit down and write anyway. So all I'm doing is just, pouring it uh, onto digital paper and, and and i'm very fortunate because it's it's all it's it's just the way that i process things do you That's have to go, I, do, right. I, well, I'm, I'm curious do you, do you go like your first go around i i, I know your process because we've talked about it on how you write your stories and, and it's very similar to me where you write and you actually go back a little bit and you edit and you write and you edit so when you get your first draft it's usually pretty damn damn good but do you find yourself tweaking those action scenes? I know you said you visualize. Do you do you tweak them and go, ah, this would be better if he stabs him in the face or shoots him instead of stabs him? <laughs> I mean, do you do you do those? Do you ag agonize over those things? I do not. So once mm. I once I've committed to something, I, I, I like I I, I can. I, there's only one scene I can think of where I actually like an actual movie it played out differently as i was writing than what i had thought of beforehand and it's from oath of honor when there's when they're already in uh, the prison in sudan and, and logan and cole have been captured and they're and they're being escorted i was going to have them break out of that prison like once they get to the boxing arena it was like straight out of escape from new york yeah. and instead as they were being escorted out of the jail cell, all of a sudden I said, these guys are like, you know, like Sudanese, like criminals, screw it. And it like, I, I immediately changed as I was writing. I had them disarm the guys, take the AKs and break out then, and then like char storm the center of the prison. So yeah, mm. but that's the only time where I've ever actually changed something as I was writing what I had planned already right ahead of time. And that's in, include, and, and, and I mean that out of five full length thrillers and novella and three and a half screenplays. No so, shit, dude. That's awesome. Bang. 
Well, quick riff on that. Do you ever like, you're not even writing a book, you're doing something else. Do you ever like come up with this, this set piece or action sequence in your head? And you're like, Oh hell, I got to write that down because I don't know where it's going to go, but I, I'm going to do this in a book. Is that, does that ever occur? So I'm, I, I don't write things down. In fact, uh, Overwatch, I wrote everything out of my head. I had, I have a 15 note, one page out. Uh, like I wrote 15 notes for Overwatch. Um, I, I think some of my books, I haven't even like written anything down. Um, I, I, I screw I mean, you. That's ridiculous. I, <laughs> it's true. I can show you. I have the, look at this. I bought when I bought this and, and I I'm very fortunate. I become friends with the uh, creator of Gears of War, Cliff Lazinski. Nice, cool. This, I bought this journal, and mm -hmm. uh, in fact, he's reading an advanced copy as we speak. But mm. I bought this journal when I decided to be a writer in 2010. Here is like it watermarks where I spilled shit all over it. Here is like that's book two. Those are all my notes for Oath of Honor. So you don't believe me? Uh, yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, this is the final tally of of the number of word count for Overwatch. So that's that's about it. Wow, <laughs> keeps it all locked up in here, dude. I yeah, I do. It's, uh, now, obviously, I, the way I, I I work though is I, I come up with an idea and then I obsess on it, and mm. and, and you know, for a story, I'll, I'll think about it for months, and I'll just keep obsessed. I'll get to the point where I physically can't it's a physical compulsion and I got to start. And then once mm. I'm off to the races, it's it, it. I'm off to the races. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have a ton of readers that watch the show, but we also have a ton of writers. So some of our questions are going to, are kind of delve from the writer's point, including this one. Sure. We, we've been talking about the, your, the action. And, and as Chris mentioned, we have all long praised your gift for action. Um, the kinetic elements of your novels have been a cut above the mass vast majority of the books in this genre for a long time. Wow. But your readers also love the gallows humor you employ. And it definitely made the jump from your Logan West books to the Zach, Zach Chambers. How conscious are you of infusing that element in the story? And what I mean by that is, is it a situation where you look for opportunities to add levity or is it wholly organic to the characters and how they react to the circumstances? Both. Um, both. And that yeah. I'm a very, as Chris knows, I'm a very sarcastic person. You know, people ask, well, how did you come up with Logan West and John Quick? And, and no kidding. The absolute truth is I took my personality and I cut it in half. And, uh, and the real serious side that people never see is Logan West. And most people just see John Quick on a daily basis. Especially if you're on Twitter, <laughs> that is, that is hard. but, but yeah, so, so I, I'm always looking for those sarcastic moments and as, as a, as a Marine, I mean, that's built into who we are. It's, a, it's like our DNA. If you're not giving each other grief, then there's usually something wrong. Yeah, that's so true. It's fu funny that uh, the follow-up to that was going to be when you were on active duty, was humor, would you call it a, a part of, I mean, I know it was a part of who you are as a Marine, but was it also kind of a coping mechanism when, when you see the worst shit humanity has to offer to be able to find this sort of dark humor in life? Sure. It, it definitely helps. I, I mean, it's, but it's also, it's just a, it's sarcasm is just a part and humor is, is just a part of that camaraderie. I mean, it really builds yeah. that esprit yeah. de corps. Um, I don't trust people who don't have a sense of humor. And I've met a few. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, I, Sorry, and I usually offend them and then don't feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you find transitioning uh, 
to this sixth novel from the Logan West protagonist to the new story in the neighborhood? Was there, did you kind of, was there like a liberating sensation that you could create a whole new set of characters and storyline, or did you kind of miss the comfort of having an established cast and crew? Oh, I, I, I didn't really agonize over it in that I, I, I knew what I, I literally, I'm very methodical in my thinking. I knew what I had to do and I just sat down and did it. I I mean, really, I I came up with the characters, the setting, and I just went to work. Um, The Logan West stuff. I I mean, obviously it's near and dear to my heart and I can always go back to it. Um, Which is why I wrote Amira, the, you know, the novella for Amira Cerrone's origin story, Right. right before the pandemic uh, yeah. and, and self-published that on Amazon. And, and, and that reads like a full length novel, Love but it. yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know, it was, it was just, it was for me, I had to take this next step. It, 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 you in this business, unless you're a big name, you're always on the grind and, and, they, and authors don't like to talk about that. You know, yeah. everyone likes to embellish their career and say, I've sold this and I've done this and I've done that. And I've done fairly well. And I, and I, and I won't say I haven't, but I haven't broken out yet. Not, not even close compared to where some of these other guys are. And, and honestly, that frustrates me, especially when I know the quality of book that I'm putting out time after time. Well, what are you doing to deal with that then? I mean, because mm-hmm. that can that can tear you up in, two, in a number of different ways. So does that just keep propelling you? I mean, Marine Corps, it's like there's a wall yep. and my objective's on the other side and I'm going through it. And that's just the way it is. I, I It's really funny. Uh, my, my wife always tells me, she's like, are you ever going to be happy? And I'm like, well, I'm goal oriented and this <laughs> is my goal. So until I achieve that goal, no, and there's uh, another it's goal. really simple. And yeah. I have goals now. And until I achieve those goals, I'm not stopping no yeah. matter what obstacle is in my path. But and I tell uh, that to a lot of first time uh, writers, yeah. you know, writers always ask, what, what does it take to get to where you are? And I go, Number one, you have to have unbelievably thick skin. You better mm. welcome rejection. Mm. You better have a sense of perseverance and determination where nothing can stop you. If you don't have all of those, just quit right now and go home. That's, I mean, because it, it is that simple. And I know that sounds really harsh, but it's that true. It's truth. That's yeah. the truth. And, but but I wonder, people I don't wonder, like Matt. to say that. They don't. They won't say that. They'll go, oh, if you do this and you go to this and you do yeah, here's your trophy. It's just not the. It's not the way reality reality works. But I wonder, Matt, if you're like me, where it's um, I have those goals, and when I do reach those goals, as I'm just about to touch that, because I know it's coming and touch that goal, I've already set up this other goal that's yeah, passed. more it, goals. and I'm just like not happy. I got to get there. I got to get to the next part. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, that's that's just life in general. Life is an evolution. You should always yeah. be pushing yourself to be better at whatever you're doing, no matter what. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, think about like Tom Brady. He's at how many Super Bowls, right? And yet, he. I guarantee you, that guy's not satisfied. Nah, you know, it's just crazy. Right? Tiger Woods. It, he's not satisfied. It's just if you want to be great at something, you just keep doing it until you like are dead or physically can't do it anymore. Right. <laughs> Yep. Wow. Well, all right. So the the neighborhood is a definite departure from the Logan West series, but the writing is every bit as good. I'd even say it's it's better. It's better. But as you wrote Zach Chambers, did you ever pause and say to yourself, "No, this sounds too much like Logan or or John Quick or even Cole Matthews." 
I did not. I actually, I, I, I just didn't because I, I created their characters. Um, I think they're all unique um, in their own way, uh, yeah. especially, especially the, the, the battle of wills between, you know, the, the main characters being Griffin and, and Zach. So no, it was just I, the story. Story evolves in my head, and it becomes organic and dynamic, and it just goes. And I, I follow the way the story goes that I've already where I've already created the framework for it. Right there, uh, it, there are there was, I don't know who we were talking to. Was it was it Lee Goldberg? Where he was he was he mentioned something where he you could tell an author had taken a story and just it's the same character but just swapped out the name. Um, oh, and and, yeah. and some some writers actually have a hard time with that. And, and as Sean said, we you know we have writers or aspiring writers, even established writers who watch the show. And I'm wondering if you have any advice that you can give those writers um, to make sure that they aren't writing the same character but with a different name in a different story. Uh, well, obviously, you know, so many things go into a character. You you, you know, have got physical description. You have. Uh, you know, characteristics, you have emotional attributes, you know, the goal is every one of my characters, I've tried to give them a different background, even though like maybe it's a different branch of the service. Mm -hmm. I've given them a different history. Uh, you know, there are certain things that are sometimes are similar. Like they're always going to be a good looking dude. You know, like you're going to have somebody who has a certain you know, set of skills, uh, but at the same time, all of that aside, the number one thing that I try to do while I'm known for the action, I actually pride myself on the development of my characters and the dialogue, as well as those emotional moments that I inject into every one of my stories that is sometimes just gut-wrenching. Um, you know, to me, that's really what sets a good thriller apart from the rest. I've read some of these thrillers where it, it just feels kind of monotonous, even though these are New York Times best-selling authors. And that I, I don't want to write that. I want the reader to really feel the experience. And that comes from the character. The character has to be relatable, uh, mm. you know, no matter what the character's background is. Yep. And, and that's the good thing about the neighborhood is you're in a suburban setting where a lot of this stuff is relatable to everybody who lives in a neighborhood. Yeah. I know I did to me. <laughs> the whole, the whole thing was my neighborhood. Yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> I want to build a little bit on what Mike asked you earlier when he was asking about whether it was liberating to create a new set of characters, but I want to go sort of outside um, the actual text. Um, how did working with a new editor and a new publisher affect your process, if at all? Did it add any dimensions to what you're writing, uh, reinvigorate you in some way, or basically make you feel like you were sort of back in the comfort zone? Well, what I will tell you is Blackstone is not the typical publisher. I, I got to say, they once it's really funny. Once you sign up with them, there's like a waiting period just because they hand the, the entire team there handles every project in every step of development once that project comes into the queue. Hmm. So they have been fantastic from the beginning. And, and I mean, I, I also I was intimately involved with the marketing and advertising plan for the neighborhood. And, and, and it's it's uh, much better than I've had previously. And, and, and I'll just say that. Um, so, so no, it's been very enthusiastic and very positive. Um, you know, they're obviously not a big house, but they're also the oldest audiobook publisher. And now they're putting out, they put out a select list of hardcovers every year and they put a ton into every one of those. 
and you and and uh, the neighborhood is will be out in hardcover right oh, of course yeah absolutely yep. and i'm super happy to say mm. uh and, and i taunted him the other day that george newburn from abc scandal charlie my narrator of the logan west books he's back for the neighborhood there you oh, go cool. dude, that's awesome. nice yeah, yeah he's fantastic they actually gave me a sampling of four i told them uh and one was actually one was like world famous. The other two were world famous narrators, but George still won the day. And, and I was very uh, honest about it. Are, are you the one that gets to pick that or is it uh, Blackstone? Yeah. Okay. They they get, they get left it up to me and my agent. My agent uh, agreed. Turns out my agent actually went to college with George, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Small cool. world. Yeah, a, a very, no, very, that's just a totally coincidence, small world thing. <laughs> wow. Kind of well, like it, living in it, kind of like living in a neighborhood with a deputy director of the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not asking for a better or worse answer here, but like, was there, was there an adjustment period uh, to working with a new editor at all? Nope. Nope. Not at all. Nope. In fact, uh, yeah, no, there wasn't. He, the editor was fantastic. Oh, and and I, I mean, I, I literally have nothing but glowing things to say about everything that's transpired so far with Blackstone, which is a good which is a good thing for for people that work with the authors that if you want an author to pump out and, and bust their ass, come out with the best stories, make them feel supported, make them feel like they're part of the team and don't. Oh, yeah. And you, you know, don't get that at a big house unless you're one of those big, big, big names. Yeah. So that's if just you're a rainmaker. It's a difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, in fact, it's funny. What I'm telling you guys is what was told to me by two of the other, actually three of the other authors there, and you know all their names, but I won't say them. But that, And that's what I was told about Blackstone, and it was absolutely true. It's why I – because I – it's really funny. I fired my agent the week I finished this book, and then I, without an agent, approached the head of Blackstone directly. Yeah. on my own and then i got a new agent after that <laughs> you're i was like screw it so i'm just going i'm just, just gonna go for it man this is a very marine corps well, thing to do and cool. i imagine it was probably easy to get another agent when you're like yeah so i just made this deal with blackstone and all basically all i need you to do is would you like 15 and, and... Yeah. yeah yeah take 15 well, man i want to ask you something a little more close to home for you that you've been very candid about your health complications surrounding the per the burn pit issues facing not only yourself but thousands of service members exposed to all these toxic byproducts um and, and you've been kind of on the forefront of that in social media in terms of what i've been seeing so where do you see the government uh, stand the current stand on changing the practices to maybe better protect the current and future war fighters and take care of the people like yourself who've been really affected greatly by this whole uh, issue. It, you know, it seems like something like this happens every generation. You know, right. they, they keep saying the burn pits is the our generation's uh, or Agent Orange. Agent Orange, yeah. And so it, it's really funny in, in in a very not funny way. Right. Uh, I came back from Fallujah from 2006 to 2007, a ripped 35 year old Marine captain. I started getting sick within a month for two and a mm. half years. I started coughing up crap. I, I got like pneumonia for two weeks. I'd never had pneumonia in my life. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. It took them two and a half years until they finally, somebody from the VA, a pulmonologist said, yeah, you suffered uh, you know, lung damage from whatever you inhaled in Fallujah. Of, co of course, you know, conveniently, they told me that a year after I had already separated from the Marine Corps, so mm. I couldn't be medically retired. Um, 
And, and so my health kind of just, as I describe it to people, anytime I get sick, I have a, I, I get this horrible reactive airway disease where I, I'm coughing up stuff. I can't talk. I, you know, I have to take inhalers, prednisone. And it happens several times a year. I just got over two of the worst flare-ups I've ever had in my life that started mid-March. Uh, I still don't have my voice back completely, believe it or not. And, yeah. and it was just awful. But the best part about it, it again, in a non-funny way, uh, yeah. is, is that I didn't realize what my lung damage that they diagnosed wasn't being covered in my disability claim. So, of course, me being uh, who I am, I, I filed a supplemental claim. It got, I, I basically followed everything they told me for an entire year. And every time it would move, progress a month later, I would then be told what I was told was wrong. So from 2017 to 2018, I wrote a series of national columns about it. I went on Fox News on Dana Perino's show in her studios in New York yeah. City. Um, I started raising awareness to this issue. I was working with Burn Pits 360, the group that before before they went out and got John Stewart. In fact, I was told by his best friend that like no shit a few weeks ago that they should have a signed bill sometime this summer. So I continue awesome. to talk about it. It's now got all the visibility you can imagine, but because it was personal to me. You know, I made it one of my causes because I have this platform uh, because you've got a couple hundred thousand vets who don't have the tenacity, the resources, the will to see it through the way that I did. Yeah. And it took them 15 months to unscrew it until I finally got my lung damage covered. Wow. And yet I'll be dealing with it for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 a never ending issue for you. <clears throat> no, it's not. It's pisses me off. I will say, and I wrote this huge thread. I don't know if anybody saw it on Facebook and on Twitter uh, three weeks ago today. I got, uh, I, along with the lung damage, I came back with a, a eustachian tube dysfunction. Yeah. Now you're talking to somebody who jumped out of planes at 12,000 feet, uh, did mountain warfare survival at 12,000 feet. And, uh, <laughs> and now I, before then, yeah. and now I drive over the mountains in Maryland and like, I, I, my head wants to explode. I can't go underwater. So three weeks ago, I went and had what's called the eustachian tube balloon dilation. They yep, knock I've you out seen for that. less than 30 minutes. They insert these long, like balloons and like blow them up. they blow yep. them up for, for three minutes or two minutes to 12 times the level of the atmosphere causes them to scar open in about another, for me, another three weeks. And then I should be able to fly again. And, and when I get sick, my ears shouldn't close. And, you know, it's like 90% effective. So I'm hoping that uh, that helps. What a bunch of crazy shit. I mean, you never know. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about it, but if you were to look at you, Matt, you you would never know and uh, that you ha you face these things and they're debilitating. Like you, you can't go on an airplane. Like you really can't travel. I mean, you could, but it would be very painful. And there's so many people walking around with that similar... Here's here, you. No one else will ever tell you the story. A story like you're about to get it. In 2016, <laughs> I went on. Uh, I, I flew with a head cold. I had to go to the poison pen because Barb had already sold 100 books. I had to sign them of Overwatch. I was on the ground for less than 24 hours. I had a head cold at the time. My neighborhood at the time was it. And you can't fly. You're, it's like your head's going to explode. I'm like, I got to fly. And he's like, take Afrin, take Motrin. I took all that stuff on the flight there. I'm just miserable, but my ears weren't shutting. So then I read about these things and the, the turnaround was so uh, quick that my ears didn't get a chance to adjust. 
And I read about these things called earplanes, earplugs. They're these little ceramic filters that are supposed to help pressurize as right, you're right. sending. Yeah. So, so we're at about 20,000 feet. I'm like, God, oh, this isn't bad. All of a sudden, I get hit with violent vertigo. The plane starts spinning on oh, me. God. My head slams against the, the thing. <laughs> I turn white. Turns out the woman to my right is from Iran. She starts screaming on an airplane in Persian Farsi. <laughs> flight attendants rush over thinking there's like a terrorist attack for real. And I'm just like, they're like, oh my God, are you dying? And I remember, I'm like, no, I just got hit with vertigo. They're like, do we, do we need to divert? I'm like, no, I, you know, the vertigo went away after about a minute and I was horribly nauseous for the rest of the flight. And then when we landed, my ears shut for three days. That was the last time I went on a plane. That was oh my God. That's it, was crazy. it was like the worst, you know, I know fighter pilots who have had it. Like I can't imagine being in a fighter yeah. jet and getting hit with it, but it was just, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> so this shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So, and then she and I chatted on uh, with Google translate the rest of the flight. <laughs> yeah, the Iranian lady. <laughs> Yeah, from Iran. It was good. Did you did you sell a book? <laughs> yeah, my, no, my I don't book. know. I didn't tell her that my first book was about trying to start a war with her. Home. Say, no. it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So pivoting back to the neighborhood, as I read it, I couldn't yeah. help but but think or rethink how I would protect my family and home from a well-armed and coordinated attack. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you did the same as you wrote and edited the manuscript. Now, I know I know it's a work of fiction, but did you also reevaluate re your home defenses after you well, finished I'm, writing I'm, the story? I'm, I'm always, you know, I always joke, like, mine's the last home you want to come into if you want to yeah. get out. It, it, right. It's <laughs> like, uh, uh, it, it, yeah, no, I, I, I always just think I, I – I, I thought about the, the like what would happen, and then I came up with a scenario where I could play it out. I mean, right. that's really what I did. Are there are there guns stashed in strategic points at the Bentley home? There might be. There yeah. Might be. yeah so. Come Fatal on over and find and, out. Yeah. Are there are there any claymores? Claymores. And there are other neighbors in this community who might be like minded and, mm. and might have similar training or even more advanced training than I. Mm. Yeah. Bad spot. No there. doubt. No doubt. UPS doesn't like going there anymore. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, thematically, the neighborhood is is multi-layered with lessons about relationships, uh, be it father-son, brother-brother, even first love. There's there's also a do you really know your neighbor theme, obviously. But my biggest takeaway personally had to do with the illusion of security. You and Chris touched on your personal physical security at your house, but I want to discuss kind of a more universal existential manner. Um, you have relevant experience here. Some you can talk about, some you can't, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm curious if even for someone with the worldview you had going in, sort of the realistic worldview you had going in, if the past several years have eroded whatever sense of security you have. Mm -hmm. Well, in general, yeah, look what's happening with the Supreme Court this week when people can go and protest outside, regardless of what your opinion is. Yeah. And, and that's not what I'm commenting on. It, but when someone can go and protest outside their house and violate noise ordinances and terrify the neighbor's kids so that they can't put their kids to bed and they're allowed to do it. Yeah, there's there's really no sense of security left in this country. And it's horrifying to think because. If it can happen to a Supreme Court justice, it can happen to anyone. I mean, it really can. And it's it's unthinkable that we're at in this position in this country. 
Yeah. Hmm. I actually think it's a, a federal law. Like it's a federal a, law. Yeah, you can't it, might, do it. it might be. But remember, this government only likes to, you know, enforce uh, federal laws selectively. So. <laughs> Hmm. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) (laughs) Let's say it's not a surprise, Matthew Bentley. All right. Um, Anything more you want to tell us about the the neighborhood that we haven't touched on yet? Because it really seemed to, uh, I don't know, it it hit home for me for all the reasons we've discussed today. But is there any other link that we're missing here as readers that, that maybe we should take away from this story? No, I, I I wrote this story really because I wanted to bring in readers, uh, new readers to, to my writing. And, and I wanted to do it in a way that was relatable and intense and, and kind of relentless and, and say, hey, this is who I am. You know, once you sign up, the, you're, you're in it until it's over. Yeah, come um, with me. But, but, but yeah, no, I, I really... Uh, I just want, I, I, more than anything, I just want to tell a great story and entertain people at the same time while, while bringing a, a level of authenticity to every one of my stories. Yeah. So and when I, you know, I will say, Sean, uh, to, to uh, an earlier question, every one of my thrillers, and I, and I pick Rules of War, which has more insane action sequences than any of my books. Yeah. You know, you've got animal attacks, a train wreck, oh my gosh, the animal an attacks. earthquake, yeah. <laughs> you've got drone swarms. Uh, and I think about that book and every one of those things is very realistic in its own way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when I write those sequences, you've got the mountaintop hotel that was abandoned. I mean, the cable cars. Like, I, yeah, the Russians I, on I, the cable cars. Yeah, yeah everything, I, everything I think about is I... If I were to make this a movie, it would not be done with CGI. It would be done with practical effects the way J.J. Abrams makes movies. Hmm. Hey, so so uh, we've tried to get you, it's just scheduling-wise, it's like we were like ships passing the night trying to get you on the show. Either yep. our schedule wasn't good, your schedule wasn't good. And I, and I resent you all for it. Yeah, yeah. you should. You should. Def- definitely should. You should. But you brought up the cable car incident, and I was looking back. See, unlike you, I take I write notes. I just have to, just because I'm like scatterbrained. I got shit every. I got a million different things going on, and I had a question about rules of war, um, where I was wondering if if Matt Bentley was in that situation, the cable car. He has to um, save the the. I forget his name. The Russian, the Russian guy, before the cable car falls. Would would you have done it? Would you have actually put your hand out and saved him? Yeah, I would have tried. Uh, I, I, w- I would have at least tried because there are ways to uh, <laughs> and, and there there are ways to kill people in war, and then there are ways to let people die. And I actually have something similar like that happen in uh, in uh, the neighborhood. If you remember, towards the end. Uh, Ooh, well, I, I, I don't, want well, to don't give any spoilers away. Yeah. But it, yeah. yes, yes, censored, censored. <laughs> We want, people to read, we want people what, to read. What can you it. tell us about what's coming up next? We, we've got the neighborhood now, and of course, we know all good authors have a million other things cooking well in advance of the interview. So, what can you tell us? And none of those things you can, but what can you tell us about what's coming the up thing, next? The things I can tell you is I actually spent the last year writing uh, 
two and a half screenplays and the neighborhood for like two years we've had, and this is what I'm super excited about. Mm. We've had an A-list producer, like one of the best in the business. Uh, and we have been trying to get a package together. And in Hollywood, awesome. as Sean knows, awesome. the package is a director, a screenwriter, a producer. Yep. You get those together, you go to the studio, you, you get a big deal. So <clears throat> we actually got this like amazing, super rising star female action director. Uh, she's been on board for like eight months. And then we had a screenwriter, a pretty big screenwriter. And the screenwriter got pulled to do a big project. And, and mm. that happens too. So then, no kidding, not even 12 days ago, um, my producer, they'd actually read one of my other screenplays. So my agent said, hey, why don't you have Matt adapt? And no kidding, I am now the screenwriter for the adaptation of The Neighborhood. I that. finished the first draft last night. Um, I found out we actually have other bigger parts as well as even a, a, like one of the world's biggest composers already on board and other things like. And so uh, I, I'm the next couple of days I'm editing it and then it's going to my agent. And I'm going to edit it one more time. And then it goes to the director and producer and then. You know, fingers crossed, this is much further than anything previously, even with a signed contract on Overwatch that fell yeah. apart. So, uh, yeah, that, this is uh, this is kind of a, a big deal. It's it's a potentially life altering yeah. uh, situation for real. And, and, mm -hmm. and I'm super excited about it because I, I, I've written other screenplays. And but this was so, so this made my third full length screenplay. And, and I'm I. I like I said, I'm a very visual person. So as I wrote this, I, I, I it was playing out in my head, you know, as, as the way a movie would. Oh, that's Dude, I'm so stoked for that. That's awesome, man. Awesome. We're yep. almost there. I, I, I think it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I, I mean, especially with all these parts and all these attachments. But it's Hollywood, you know, anything yeah. can happen, as Sean knows. All right, yeah. we'll cross all of our fingers. Well, congratulations for surviving the main portion of our interview. Cheers. Now we enter what's called the lightning round, where we try to ruin your career before we get started here. These will be <laughs> questions that might not be found. I, I do. I, I work hard enough at ruining my own career, so don't worry. <laughs> well, let's add some fuel to the fire here, folks. Yeah, we'll push you over the ledge. <laughs> and so since I'm the host today, I'm going to go first here. And my first question is, how was your ice skating career? <laughs> What? My ice skating career? Yeah, how, how goes your ice skating career? Yeah. Last time I saw you ice skate, some bad things so happened. My ice skating career is awesome. So Let me see your form. What's is the best straight? part about my ice skating career is that I I actually <laughs> played intramural hockey in college. I took an advanced hockey course. Uh -huh. And then my dumbass uh, went skating, free skate, a couple of years ago. Must have been <coughs> August or April of 2019 so the year before the pandemic and i and of course they didn't have hockey skates so i put on figure skates and i i'm flying around the rink and i go to break for the first time the first time and they had over sharpened the edge of the skate so when i went to cut and scrape stuck flipped me immediately because i was hauling i went into the wall my wrist which is straight was like that um, <laughs> didn't break through the skin, but it was a compound, basically an internal <sighs> compound fracture. And I was like, totally cool about it, but it was, uh, it was painful. <laughs> and so I ended up having uh, 
a plate and nine plate? screws. It's hard to see the scar. It healed really Not well. bad. Yeah. Looks yeah, pretty good. No. Done a bunch but, of those. Yeah, baby. So, I mean, hey, I'm always looking to, you know, maybe I'll uh, compete in women's figure skating in the next Olympics. You could. You just have to you identify. Could. I, could. Good. I can do it. Hey, it is all fair game. What yeah, would your name be? Outfit? Maybe I'll ask Leah Thomas for some tips. <laughs> what? what, what? <laughs> Mary Betley. All right. <laughs> All right, number two. I got to preface this. Did did you go to Quantico for OCS? I did. Okay. Mm. All right. So you and I have a little conversation here. Uh, So I was there in '86. How creeped out were you conducting solo night orienteering in the woods in Quantico? Did you guys do that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Not solo, but I mean, I, I. Um, I've done multiple night exercises because of all the courses. So I went through, uh, OCS in the fall of 99. Then I went six months of the basic school. Then I went to three weeks of the scout sniper platoon commander school, and then 10 weeks of the infantry officer course all back to back to back. So basically a full year and, uh, with no breaks, literally like, and I had to leave, uh, I was just telling my wife, I had to leave, graduate the basic school a week early with like four of my buddies to go right into the scout sniper school. But it was, uh, yeah, I, I did operate in Quantico once when it was just myself and another guy. Wow. And the coolest part about that is I fell off a building, but I landed <laughs> on the back of a, uh, uh on, on my pack, which had the radio. So it yeah. worked my fall and the radio still worked. And we stumbled in like zero visibility, like 0% alum into a bunch of turkey vultures and they attacked us so that was fucking fantastic how was that project. not made a book they, they, it was like the blair witch project they were literally circling and <laughs> flapping around us and i was like i'm being i'm being killed you know that's, that's why animal attacks actually end up a lot in his in they his should stories. film this because Bingo. i got hung up on barbed wire and then a snake started crawling up and wrapping up my right what? leg yeah no <laughs> I, I, awesome. to, to this I had, day it's my number one fear is when i go outside what? to like get my dog or something the snake's gonna start coiling up my damn leg see i had i had a black snake crawl between my boots but that didn't bother me no. um and i did i was in that we were shooting tanks with at4s and i looked up like literally a foot from my face was a family of black widows i have pictures <laughs> of it too. oh no thanks Do that dude yeah no. see that would bother me the snake wouldn't right. bother me the, the black yeah. widows <laughs> Yeah. All right, number three. What's more fun, seeing the Yankees win or the Red Sox lose? Yankees win always. Oh, I'm not man. a hater on the Red Sox ever. Oh, really? I actually like root for them. You're one of three, uh, but I'm all about my Yankees and have been forever. So okay. I, I like to see. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I I just don't hate on the Red Sox, so. <laughs> I never have. Uh, I'll, I'll do enough hating for you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it, it is crazy though. Like the amount, like people get really upset about. It. Yeah, they do. But I, <laughs> I do like going to uh, um, watching the Yankees. But uh, never mind. I won't talk about me. Doesn't matter. All right. So here are my questions. Uh, it, so you include a lot of music in your stories. You you uh, you love music. So if you had to select one song, one to represent the 1980s what song would it be a song to represent the 1980s one song yep oh my gosh i don't even know if i can think of 
Uh, in the air of the night, Phil Collins from the Miami Vice episode. Oh, ah. that's a good one. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm that, is, that is iconic. I'm wearing a journey shirt because of you, because I think of 80s music. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was so funny. Uh, We were talking, it was a while back, and we were talking about uh, Christopher Cross. I was talking about sailing. And you're like, oh, my gosh, dude, that's in my story. I'm like, what? And then I read it. (laughs) It was in. I was like, fucking hilarious. Um, If you had, all right, so now let's switch from from songs, and we're going to go to, and of course, Sorry. My computer, is that God my computer calling my computers. Yeah, my wife was calling before. Now my niece is calling. Anyway, so here's the question: If you had to select one movie to represent the '90s, what movie would it be? The Rock, hands down. Yeah, oh, not, yeah. Not, even, not even The Rock or Armageddon. Either way, it's a Michael Bay movie. I don't care. So, uh, or Braveheart. So those are like the three best movies of the '90s, and and Braveheart made me go into the Marine Corps. So you know, it's like, hey, ah, uh, okay. All right. right. The, the the fourth one, who would yeah. get, it would be Pulp Fiction. <laughs> That's got to be the best one. I like it. I like. I actually love any of those. Yeah, they're it all just really like the ball gag scene. Love it. That's yeah. all right. All right. Here's my last question. Um, how would Logan West des- describe Zach Chambers? Uh, he would describe him probably. Actually, I know how you would describe him. At, as a fucking CIA uh, wannabe, that's how he would describe him. Because Logan's not really fond of the CIA. Amen, dude. That was yeah, a softball. yeah. After after what happened to him, he's 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 not exactly fond of that agency. <laughs> oh. And and he would probably call him Bob, no matter what his fucking name is. <laughs> that's a true See, that... story, by the way. Oh. All all those guys that I met. When I was in country, they're all named Bob. I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> Assholes. Okay, my first question: Better Robin Williams performance, Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting, or Popeye? Or what was the, I? You broke Popeye. Popeye. I had some Goodwill, relevance. Goodwill Hunting. It is. <laughs> had some relevance to the the book. Yeah, it does, um, and and, I, and 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 the readers will pick up on it. I hope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shelley Duvall. In the Shining, or Shelley Duvall is olive oil. Uh, probably Shelley Duvall as olive oil. You are correct. She is, she is just. I, I cannot stand her character in The Shining. Yeah, I can't either. I can't either. Oh my god! I was kind of rooting for her death. Um, <laughs> Come on, Nicholson. Okay, my, my next question: Will Joe Burrow win a Super Bowl in Cincinnati? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think- yeah, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what the offensive line does if they keep him healthy. I, yeah. I, I mean, think about what they did with what they had this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still, yeah, that was a, that was a tough loss. I always feel bad for you when they do lose, though. And my last, my last well, question. I mean, you should, you should have felt bad for me for the entire nineties and two thousand. Yeah, how you stuck it out is beyond me. <laughs> so my last question sounds subjective, but it's really not. Um, you are a graduate of the Miami of Ohio, uh, of Miami of Ohio, which is a fantastic university. Who is the greatest football coach to come through Miami of Ohio? I have absolutely no idea. I, okay, I, it's called. I, I, it's called the cradle of coaches. And some people would say 
Oh, Shane Beckler, they'd be way wrong. Um, some people what, might say what, Paul, what? Paul Brown. No, let's just some people might right say there. Paul Brown, and they'd be closer. But the answer is Eric Parsegian. So, on that really? note, yeah. So, I, I, uh, Mike, did meet, uh, I did meet Wally Zerbiak at a party when I was a senior, and he was a freshman. Oh, that's cool. And Roethlisberger was way, way too much younger from when I graduated. He wasn't even there yet. Oof. But by the way, we're gonna edit that. Uh, Sean answered it, but we're gonna edit that answer right after Boshan Black. <laughs> <laughs> no. definitely not I, be, I believe he was actually a delt too i believe they or a, i think he was a delt i remember that because they have like a room named after him i think huh. in the fraternity oh. house miami's a big creek campus well there's a number of reasons how you get your name put on a on a specific room in a, in a frat house so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. all right well congratulations matthew yes. uh we'd love to have you on it was good to see you brother Likewise, guys, I really appreciate it. And, and like I said, I just hope everybody enjoys it. Anybody who likes action, this is yeah. the book. This, this is a fantastic is book. You've got Love to get it, dude. This, folks. It's just balls to the wall. And that's exactly how he writes it. That's how he wants it. That's how we want to read it. So make sure you guys go out and get this copy, folks. You're going to love it. Cheers. Matthew, good to see you, pal. Cheers. Likewise, guys. Boys. Hmm. We had Matthew Bentley and the neighborhood on our show today. And not just any neighborhood, a badass neighborhood. With a teddy bear. And a a teddy bear, just to soften it up and draw in to the action that unfolds. (gasps) Hell of a book, man. This thing was, this thing torched it from beginning to end. A lot of action, uh, typical Matt Bentley uh, style writing. So definitely get out there and folks. Bring on the boys. Matt Bentley. Great book. My only regret from the interview is that we didn't make him come in, change his sweater, and change his shoes and say, Welcome to the neighborhood. That's right. Would have been a brilliant intro. Here's <laughs> mud in your eye, you boys. The intro from Matthew Bentley and the neighborhood. And it's my turn, you jackwagons. Here we go. Who's a jackwagon? Three, two, and meow.